And uh, let's pray and ask our Lord to bless the reading of his word. And also we want to pray for God's blessing on tonight's financial offering. Uh, again, uh, after June the 15th, we'll be able to pass out the offering bags. But as, until June the 15th, we won't be able to do that. So continue to give and support the church by handing any tithe envelopes to our ushers in the back of the church. You can mail it in or you can uh, use the uh, uh, online services uh, to get that money. And so far, thank you, church. You've been so faithful in making sure that the financial needs are met. And we appreciate your faithfulness to the church. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we open up the Bible now, Lord, we pray right now that you would bless the reading of the word here tonight. Anoint it, Lord God. Give it life. Make, we pray that it will minister to each and every individual that's here. For those that are watching, Lord God, that you will minister and encourage and bless them. Help them, Lord God, that are at home right now or in their office or wherever they may be. Help them not to be distracted. Help them to make this a priority for the next few minutes, Lord that this time would be a priority set aside for you to honor your word, Lord. And of course, Lord, we pray for the offerings that we're receiving, Lord God, whether it's personally tonight or through uh, or online, Lord God, or through the mail. However it gets you, Lord, bless it and anoint it and honor it, Lord. And we pray, Lord God, that you will help me as your servant to communicate your word effectively here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Praise God. Okay. Let me go ahead and read it out of the NIV version of the Bible. Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse number 1, the Bible says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Everybody say, stand firm. Let me hear it. In other words, hold your ground. Don't let anything distract you from focusing on Jesus. Can you say amen, church? Nothing, okay? Nothing and no one. Verse 2, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at this section of Scripture. And unfortunately, it's discussing a very uncomfortable uh, subject, especially for those of us who are men. And it, it, we were talking about the subject of circumcision and why it was such a serious topic to the Christians in the early church. Today, it's not really that big of a deal. We don't make a big deal out of it today. But again, this is like 2,000 years later. But in the beginning of the Christian church, it was a very, very big deal, this issue of circumcision. And we learned that there was a group of very dedicated Christians that sincerely believed that all the new Gentile converts, Gentile means non-Jewish converts or non-Jewish believers that were now coming into the church, that they should be circumcised in order to be truly saved. But God had clearly spoken to the chief apostles and the main leaders of the church that physical circumcision was no longer required to be 
saved. Salvation was not by works and is not by works of the flesh or through human effort. Salvation is in and through the Son of God, the person of Jesus Christ. But let's take some time to understand why this group of Christian leaders were so insistent on demanding that new Gentile believers be circumcised. For that, we have to go back to the beginning of the Jewish people, how they originated. And we have to go back to Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 27. I'm going to read this long section of Scripture to kind of explain to all of us why the early church leaders were so insistent that new believers that were not Christian, that were not Jewish, be circumcised. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. Let's let's read it. It says this. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. And here's where the covenant is established, the covenant of circumcision. Verse 10, This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner. Those who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. These are very strong words of instruction that God is giving to Jewish people. Verse 14, any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. 
I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household and, and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. Now, I think that you would agree that after reading that section of Scripture, we could understand why certain Jewish leaders were very passionate and very strong in insisting that the new believers that were coming in that were not Jewish, why they had to be circumcised, because it sounds pretty radical and pretty hard that God is demanding that anyone that is wanting to be part of the Abrahamic covenant must be circumcised. So you see, looking at it this from the looking at this from the perspective of a Jewish leader who understood the importance of physical circumcision as a sign of obedience to the law, as a requirement for acceptance by a holy God, an everlasting covenant and to all future generations, we can sympathize with why they considered circumcision a requirement for salvation. But again, Getting circumcised means that you would have to add something to what Christ did on the cross. It would mean that Jesus Christ lied when he said these very important words on the cross, when he said, it is finished. How many of you know that when Jesus Christ said, it is finished, that means that it was Done. It was a completed deal. No one had to do anything more. Let's remind ourselves of what the Bible tells us in John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. It says this. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished. In other words, Jesus had completed his mission. And so that scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty. Verse 29. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus did a complete work on the cross. We have to always remember that Jesus Christ fulfilled all all the requirements of the law completely. Salvation is a free gift. It is not of works, any works, even righteous works like circumcision. It is forbidden for us as Christians to add anything to the complete work of salvation that Jesus did for us on the cross. Is everyone listening to what I just said? Can you say amen? And this includes adding circumcision. Not only does this include circumcision, but it also includes baptism. Some Christian churches today 
teach that in order for us to be saved, you must be baptized in water. So in a sense, we kind of have the same issue or argument in today's church as they did 2,000 years ago about circumcision because we have a number of churches, Christian churches, born-again believers that believe that you have to be baptized in water to be saved. And if you're not baptized in water, then you're not saved. But remember, when Jesus died on the cross, there were two criminals hanging with him, one on Jesus' left and the other on Jesus' right. One of the criminals rejected Jesus Christ and the other criminal humbled himself before Christ and he accepted, confessed, and received Christ as Lord and Savior. Let me read this section of scripture to remind us of what happened when Jesus was being crucified on the cross. In Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43, listen to this. It says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, the criminal that repented and received Christ did not get baptized, and yet he was saved. How many of you can shout hallelujah to that? Can you say amen, church? He didn't get baptized, and yet he was saved. Why? Because baptism is not required for salvation. So please remember this. Please remember this and know how to defend yourself if anyone tries to convince you that baptism or circumcision or any other human effort or work is required for salvation. Salvation is by faith in Christ alone because of the cross. It is a finished work. It is a complete work. But let's go and refer back to Genesis 17 when God instructed Abraham to circumcise all of the males in his household. In Genesis 17, the Bible clearly tells us that Ishmael was circumcised. And so even today, every Muslim, every Muslim is circumcised because they are the descendants of Ishmael. And because Isaac was circumcised, every Jew, even today, is circumcised. But because of Jesus, everyone say Jesus, because of Jesus and the work that he did for us on the cross. Today, anyone who surrenders their life to Christ also undergoes circumcision. Christ fulfills the requirement of circumcision in us. But circumcision for the believer is not in the flesh. We are circumcised in our hearts. At the cross, Christ has cut off the sinful flesh and the curse of sin that curse of sin that was brought upon us through Adam and Eve and their disobedience. At the cross, Christ cuts off that sinful flesh that was preventing us from having fellowship with a holy God. That's what happens spiritually now to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. That's why today, those of us who are Christians do not have to get physically circumcised because we're already spiritually circumcised at the cross. Listen to what it says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. Let me read it to you. It says this. For in Christ, all the fullness 
of the deity lives in bodily form. That means Christ was completely God. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. How many of you are glad that your sins have been cut away? Cut away by God. Verse 14, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Let me read Colossians 2, verse 11 in the New Living Translation. New Living Translation, it says this. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. That's why you and I are declared righteous before a holy God. That's why you and I are declared forgiven by a holy God, because Christ, through the blood and through the cross, has cut away and taken away our sin. In Colossians 2, 13 through 15, let me read it in the New Living Translation again. It says this, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Listen, church, we are no longer condemned because of our sin. We are no longer in crisis because of our sin. It, Jesus cut all that away. In Romans 2, 28 and 29, it says this, NIV, a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Let me read that same section in the New Living Translation. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. How many of you can say with a clear conscience, your heart is right with God because of Jesus, because of the blood of Jesus, not because of yourself, but because of the Lord. Can you say amen? It says a true in verse 29, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God and true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the spirit and a person with a changed Heart seeks praise from God, not from people. Now, I don't know about you. I can only speak for myself. I know that when I became a Christian over 40 years ago, 
my heart, my mind, my whole life, my whole perspective, it changed radically. All those things that I thought were right all of a sudden became wrong. And all those things that I thought were were crazy and goofy and, and, and wrong, they became right. That's because God changed my heart. And you're here because God changed your heart. That is a supernatural act and miracle work of, of the Spirit of God that could change a monster like you and a monster like me and make us sweet little Christians. Can you say amen, church? Praise God for that. Now listen, circumcision of the heart is not just a New Testament concept. It is originated in the Old Testament and has always been in the heart of God to help the Jewish believer understand that he, God, has wanted a people that would love God and serve God from their hearts and not by obligation or force or against their will. How many of you are here because you want to be here? Doesn't it feel good? To do things for the Lord because you want to do them? Not because somebody's putting a gun to your head or threatening you. Jerry, if you don't go to church, I'm going to kick you out of this house. No, we come to church because we love God. You're online watching right now, taking time to, to watch this, 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 this service because you want to honor God with your time. This is important to you. God is important to you. Now, if we weren't Christians, if the Holy Spirit wasn't in us, we wouldn't care. We would just be doing our own thing, wasting our lives on our way to hell, totally lost and messed up in our heads. But no, we're here and we're paying attention and we're honoring the Lord because God has done a miraculous, supernatural work in our hearts. He has changed us. But this is actually an Old Testament concept. Listen to what it says here in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16. It says, Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, it says, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. How many of you want to live? You want to live eternally in heaven. Let's follow Jesus. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4. It says this. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts, you people of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Or my wrath will flare up and burn like fire because of the evil you have done. Burn with no one to quench it. When we were in Galatians chapter 4, verse 22. I mentioned to you that when we were studying about Sarah and Hagar, this was like three or four weeks ago when we were talking about Sarah and Hagar and the two covenants, okay, and their sons Ishmael, and we were talking about Isaac, and I encourage you to write down some scriptures that would help you to explain to a Muslim why God's covenant is with Isaac and not with Ishmael. Even though both Isaac and Ishmael were born, through Abraham, or Abraham was their father, there was a difference, and we made that really clear when we talked about that in Galatians chapter 4, the difference between Sarah and Hagar, the difference between Ishmael and Isaac. Listen, Muslims, if they want to receive salvation, they must receive salvation in and through Christ, and the ancestor is Isaac and not 
Ishmael. Did everyone hear what I just said? But you need scriptures to be able to share that. And I encouraged you to write down next to Galatians chapter 4, verse 22, to write down Genesis chapter 17, because in there it talks about the covenants and that the covenant is with Isaac. And I also encourage you to write down Genesis chapter 22, because that's where God says to Abraham, and he mentions your only son, talking about Isaac being his only son. Now, remember, Abraham had two sons. He had Ishmael and Isaac. But in Genesis chapter 22, God makes reference to only one of his sons, and that is Isaac. These are two very, very important sections of Scripture for you to be able to effectively witness through the Word of God to Muslims why they need to come to salvation through Christ and not through Muhammad because they trace Muhammad all the way to Ishmael. It doesn't work. It's not going to be good. It's a lie. It's a deception. And we have to help them to see that. But now I'm asking you, next to Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Okay, this is just for your benefit, to help you. And next to Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, it would be good for you to write down the following scriptures to help you explain to people why Physical circumcision no longer applies today in the church and why it is spiritual circumcision that is true to those who are believers in Christ. Let me just give you these scriptures. And if you want to write them down and include them on the margin of your Bible, this will help you to explain physical circumcision versus spiritual circumcision. This is really, really important for you to understand and to get so that you could hopefully get it for yourself and explain it to others. If you want to write these scriptures down, we just read them already, but let me write them down. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16. Deuter Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. And Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4. Jeremiah 4, 4. These are the scriptures that we read tonight. I would encourage you to write some notes down for yourself. Leave them there on your margin. You never know when you're going to get into a conversation with someone that wants to understand what we just talked about here tonight. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray right now, God, as we have dealt with this very, very difficult and challenging subject of circumcision. Yes, Lord God, you, you made a covenant with Abraham and you demanded, you demanded that those who follow you must be circumcised. Otherwise, they would not be accepted. And so, Lord, it's so critical for us to understand that today we no longer have to go through physical circumcision, but we have to go through spiritual circumcision. And that can only take place at the cross. That can only happen at the cross. Nowhere else can we receive spiritual circumcision, true circumcision of the heart, only at the cross, only in the name of Jesus. When we come to faith in the Son of God, can we be circumcised in our hearts, receive forgiveness of sin, declared righteous because our sinful nature has been cut off by the blood. Help us, Lord God, to understand it, appreciate it, 
and to be able to teach it to others in the future. If you're here tonight and you say, Jerry, I am not a Christian. I have never surrendered my life to Jesus. If I were to die tonight or if Jesus were to come, I'm not sure if I would go to heaven. If that's you here this evening, just lift up your hand. Anyone at all. Those of you that are watching online, if that includes you, if you are not a Christian, you have never surrendered your life to the Lord, we want to give you that opportunity right now. It begins at the cross. You've got to go to the cross. There is no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You have to go through Jesus. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not Hindu, not any other faith or religion. It has to be through Jesus, and it has to be through the cross. Say this prayer with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I acknowledge that I am a sinner, and I understand the only way to salvation and forgiveness of sin is through Jesus Christ. So tonight, I humble myself. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of all my sins. I willingly open the door to my heart. I ask you, Jesus, to come in, take over my life, be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you, church. Thank you so much for coming out. Those of you that need prayer, the altar is open. The altar is open. Please feel free to come on up. We will pray with you. If you need healing, you need to be encouraged. If you need to pray for someone that's going through any kind of a struggle in your family, you feel free to come on up, and we will pray for you. God bless your church. Lord willing, we'll see you on Sunday, okay? And don't forget, basic doctrine class tomorrow, 7 o'clock in Burns Hall, okay? God bless your church. Thank you.